Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of youth and families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, excited here for, uh, I guess, episode two. We was kind of last last uh, week we did, last week or a week before last, we did sort of a teaser episode about this series in hermeneutics and, and and primarily not hermeneutics but reading Christ in the Old Testament seeing Christ as being what the Old Testament is about so we're this is a, a, a topic uh, that is near and dear to our heart we both love helping people see that uh, and so I'm really excited about this but before we go any further I want to remind everybody that um, assurance partner sponsored by logos Bible software take your Bible reading and study to the next level with uh, logos Bible software for more information you can go to assuranceofpardon.com slash logos uh, for uh, to to download the software for a discount code and uh, five free ebooks when you uh, when you go through our site assuranceofpardon.com slash logos yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I would even call this new season um, an old, and even an Old Testament survey class, right? Because our, our intent is each week we may go through one book of the Old Testament, we may cover a section of the Old Testament, uh, but we want you to be able to see how in each book of the Old Testament we're going to get to Jesus. You know, we're not. It's not going to be an exhaustive list, uh, but it is going to be a list. Um, uh, just to touch on a few instances where Christ is super clear. Uh, and we ho- hope this will help you kind of have a grid by which you read the whole, the whole Bible and particularly the Old, the Old Testament um, as well. Uh, and you can always use your Logos Bible software to go and dig into the text after we give you those references. Uh, and there are uh, a ton uh, of resources. Edmund Clowney's Preaching Christ and All, all Scripture, um, so many others. Uh, our good friend Chad Bird actually has a new book coming out called uh, the Christ key. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to have him, him on, uh, in the next couple of weeks to be able to talk about that, uh, and, and help give you a resource there. And I'm sure eventually the digital version of that could be available on Logos, you know, so, th- so definitely, um, our intent with this series. And as we dig in today is to help you be able to see that we're not making this up, that Jesus, the whole Bible really is about Jesus. And we're going to be able to show you in the same way that Jesus showed uh, the guys on the road to Emmaus, um, how starting with the prophets, how Christ um, w- fulfills every everything that we see in the text. Yeah, this week I had the, the opportunity, I was invited to take part in a panel discussion at a local, um, at, a, at a church across town that a friend of mine is on staff with. It was for their college age, young adult ministry, and they had uh, the students had written questions and the panel was to uh, answer them. Um, and so I was one of the panelists and one of the questions was, 
how do I make application and how do I find joy in reading the scripture? And one of the, the points that I brought out, and some of them I think we're hearing it for the first time, is especially when it comes to the Old Testament, you will find joy in the Old Testament when you start with the first premise, and that is, this is about Jesus. How is this about Jesus? And when Jesus, uh, we, we said it last time, when Jesus met those disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, they were joyless. They were, they were believers in Jesus, and they didn't know what to make of what had happened. And Jesus said, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter in his glory? In the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so what I told these students is, if you would like me to tell you, if you want to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, how can I, as your follower, be a fool. What he says in Luke 24 is the recipe for being a fool is step one. Don't read the old Testament with me as the center of it. Mm -hmm. Don't see the old Testament as pointing to me and what I came to do. That's how you can be foolish. That's how you can be slow of heart as a, as a believer in Jesus. And so don't be foolish. See Jesus in the old Testament. And we've got, you know, we've got listeners from from all over the country and really, honestly, at this point, all over the world, which is really cool. Uh, but I, I can tell you, if you grew up in an evangelical context, this wasn't the case, right? You weren't told this. You were actually told that the Old Testament's about Israel, mm-hmm. that that doesn't really apply to us anymore. We are New Testament Christians or we're a New Testament church. And so um, you'll, you'll have people um, even even scholars and um, celebrity pastors that, that we um, know and love who will only ever preach out of the new Testament uh, out of, from this hermeneutic that, you know, the old Testament's for, for another time that we're only focused in the new Testament. And here's the problem with that. That's not how the apostles understood the text at all. Right. That, that's not how Jesus um, understood the text. And when your your hermeneutic starts to um, push against the apostles and Jesus, you need to change. Uh, Jesus and the apostles don't. So let's let's dig in today. Um, let's let's go ahead and kick it off. Um, we're going to highlight first off the book of Genesis. Um, so I think the the first and the easiest thing, uh, Scott, is to start with the creation story. That uh, we know that the creation story is about Jesus because guess what? One of the apostles, John, tells us it's about Jesus. Uh, so so Scott, how is how is Genesis one one and the creation story pointing us to Christ? Well, everybody, all of our listeners, I'm sure, if they listen to this podcast, they they are obviously are interested in the Bible. They know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is out form and void and darkness is over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We're, we're all familiar with that. And sometimes people say there's actually two creation accounts in the Bible. There's the, the one in Genesis 1 and then there's the one in Genesis 2. But what I want to point out is there's a third and it's in John chapter 1. And, and what I want I want our listeners to notice is that in John chapter one, John opens his gospel, opens his biography of Jesus 
by going back, not to Bethlehem, not to the Annunciation when the, when the angel visits Mary and tells her she's going to have a baby. Um, rather, he doesn't begin at the, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. John begins his gospel with Genesis chapter 1 because he also starts his gospel with those three words in the beginning. And so what we need to realize as we read J- John chapter one, or rather let's say it this way, we, we read our Bibles backwards. We let the new mm-hmm. Testament tell us how to read the old Testament. Correct. And so when we read Genesis, we need to say, this sounds familiar. This is what John says. And so here's what John says in the beginning. Oh, I know where we're going here, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So now we've got two things to, to, to wrap our head around There's in the beginning was the word. Okay. And the words with God. Okay. And the word was God, right? Wait, which is it? You mean there's more than one persons in, 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 in God. Correct. Yes. And, and then he goes a step further and says, he was in the beginning with God. So now we've gone from talking about this word that was at the beginning. We've got, we said that word was with God. Oh, and that word was God. And that word is a he. Right. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, the word. And without him, the word was not anything made that was made. In him was the life. In him, uh, let me, sorry. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, whatever this is, so far, we have to say that John is saying that this word that was with God, this word that was God, this word that was a he, this word created everything. That there's not anything that we see that we, we can look at that's, that we can say that was not made by, by the word. Right. And, and, and actually had this conversation with a Jehovah's Witness um, in a coffee shop in Memphis a couple of weeks ago, because if you go back to, to, the, to the Greek, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce, pronounce this, um, and please don't send me your emails if I butcher this. Um, it's been a while since I've, I've studied Greek, but I will tell you, shameless plug, if you go to Logos Bible Software and you click on, <laughs> you click on uh, John chapter 1 and you go into uh, the exegetical guide, you actually can click on these words and see a, and hear a better pronunciation than what Gage is going to tell you. But in, in Arcane Ain Ha Logos, right? In the beginning was the word. So John is intentionally trying to get you to go, okay, what is John doing here? This this sounds like something we've heard before. This is the same way that Moses starts his gospel. And the important part here, to your point about there are more than one person in the Godhead, is if you go back and look at the Greek, you'll see there are articles in front of God, and there's there's an article in front of Logos, right? Ton, Theon, and Ha, Logos. Like So really, on a, a literal reading, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with the God and God was the word is literally, literally how it reads. And it's intentional that way because in the Greek, the article in front of a noun indicates like a proper noun, right? And in English, we just capitalize our proper nouns most of the time. But um, 
in the Greek, they put the, the definite article in front of the noun to show importance or, or specialness. And so uh, that matters because he, he's not a God, right? He's not a, a lesser deity. We're not talking about uh, a, a secondary platform of the sun. We're talking about equality, right? Same in substance, equal in power and glory. Yeah, and 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 not to get ahead of ourselves. So John has has established for us that he's 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 you know when you have a photo on your on your computer and it has that little magnifying glass icon with the plus sign in it, I can click on something and I can zoom in and I can see it closer. And so what John one is doing is it's the magnifying glass that clicks in closer on Genesis one and says let let's unpack what's being said in Genesis one from from john's perspective and in the beginning was the word the word is with god the word was god he was in the beginning with god and then so we can so that you can know but are you is that talking about jesus on down to verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth so that word took on human flesh and dwelt among us. That's Mm -hmm. Jesus. So Jesus is the creator of the world. Now, this is so key because I think so often uh, so many Christians in just contemporary evangelicalism thinks that God, the father made the world. Right. And then, and then we're they're, they're they're functionally modalists, but that's another episode that God, the father made the world, but then later God decided to create the son and that the son comes in in the gospels, but he's non-existent in the in in the the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And and John wants to start out from the very beginning and make clear Jesus made the world. Jesus is the creator. Jesus made everything that we see. He's the creator and he's the sustainer. Jesus did it all. And this isn't something that there's just a crazy idea that John had in reading. He's not reading something into the Old Testament text that isn't there. Paul shared this with him, as did the writer of Hebrews. Paul in Colossians 1 tells us he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, not literally born, but as in firstborn is in a title of all creation. And then says, for by him, there wasn't anything made without him there wasn't anything made that was made as in like he is the source of life through which all things are being made the writer of hebrews says it like this he's the the exact imprint of god's glory like in other words in real layman's terms if you want to know what god's like look at jesus and and so that's what john is wanting you to understand which is why in verse 18 it says in John 1, after he tells you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, it says, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. As in like, hey, Jesus is revealing to you who God is. And, th- and that matters because the rest of the gospel, John is going to repeatedly show you instances where Jesus is saying, I've come to do the father's will. I only do the things the father shows me to do or John chapter four, when he's talking to the woman of the well and the disciples come back and he, and they say, uh, Hey, we brought you some food. And he says, I already have food. And everybody's like, who fed him? Why'd we go get food? If he's already got food. And he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Like, so you see this, 
this interconnection, um, this equalness, this unity that's so attached that they're one and the same, right? Not we know not in the sense that they are the same, right? We the they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory, distinct in personhood, three persons, one God, but they are so equal and so on the same page and so operating from the same mission that to know Jesus is to know the Father. That's what Jesus tells Thomas, right? Because Thomas is like, okay, show us God. You've been talking about the Father. We want to see the Father. You said you're going to go uh, build a house in your Father's house and you're going to make room for us. And like, can we see it? And and Jesus at one point is like, how may, how long I got to be with you so you understand what I'm saying? You know what the Father is like because you have seen me. And so going back to Genesis then, you see this operation of the triune Godhead in creation, including Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with God, the Father. And the Spirit was hovering over the face of the water. So you see the triune Godhead there. But you see that all of this is happening to point us to Jesus. And then you see a couple other instances Um as we think through Genesis, Scott, right? You talked about the second, the second creation narrative, right? Or the, you see like kind of the poetic side in chapter one and the more detailed side in chapter two, but chapter two gives you the covenant of works, right? Chapter two tells you that uh, Adam is given one law, be a good steward, be fruitful, multiply. Here, here's the tree. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here's the covenant of works. Do this and live. Don't do this and die. And now what's that got to do with Jesus? Everything. So as we think about the covenant of works and think about, so what does the covenant of works or the agreement between God and Adam, the Adamic covenant, of do this and live, don't do this and die. What's that got to do with Jesus? What's got everything to do with Jesus? Because of passages like Romans 5. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Jesus is the one that's actually able to fulfill the covenant of works, to fulfill the law's demands. He, His perfect obedience is what leads to life. It's not just his death and resurrection that give us salvation. It's everything he did leading up to that to be the perfect sacrifice. So you see, even we've covered Genesis 1, he's the creator. Everything that is being made is coming through him and is for him and to him, right? And then Genesis 2, he's the true and better Adam fulfilling the covenant that Adam couldn't do. And then we get into chapter 3. Yeah. And in chapter three, we all know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned um, and they were naked and ashamed and they made these fig leaf bathing suits. That's what I always picture because I had the little children's storybook Bible and it's always Adam had like a one piece on and and Eve had like three leaves uh, for hers. And they made these fig leaf bathing suits and then God calls them and they're standing before him. And God does not say, Yes, you sinned, but good job on the bathing suits. Way to go. That's good. <laughs> you you know what? You you made lemons out of you made lemonade out of lemons and you shouldn't have sinned, but that's really good ingenuity on your part. I'm glad you saw the error of your ways and you realized, you know what, I can make this right. Hmm. I'm gonna get a needle and thread, or what they didn't have needle and thread. I'm gonna make a covering for myself out of fig leaves. 
right. then I will be right with God. Right. <clears throat> and yet God still says, Hey, who told you you're naked? Right. God still sees them as naked. And, and, and the first death in the Bible is when God kills an animal to make skins to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. Now, wait a second. Right. I thought they had these fig leaves. Well, what is God saying in doing that? What is God saying in killing an animal to cover their nakedness? Well, one thing he's saying is the things that you do, the work of your own hand that you in your foolishness think make you acceptable to me are futile, feeble attempts that I do not receive as an acceptable covering. You think you can cover your nakedness? You can't. And if you could, I'd, I'd receive those bathing suits as being acceptable. But something's going to die. Something's going to die today to make you acceptable to me. And so I'm going to cover your nakedness. And so God takes an animal out of his garden and kills it and kills it. An innocent lamb or goat is, is slain to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. And so God is saying, I will provide the acceptable covering for your nakedness. And this begins the pattern of sacrifices that we see throughout the whole Bible. This is the first lamb that is slain. And, and what, is, what happens now when Jesus' cousin John sees him uh, as, at, the, at the River Jordan? He looks at Jesus, and he points at him, and he says to the crowd, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is, this, it's always been about Jesus. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And mm -hmm. so when you get that, and this is why, this is why I told these college students, Hey, you want to find joy in this? You want to find joy in your Bible reading? Find Jesus in it. Find Jesus in your Bible reading and you'll find joy. Find and, I, and I think too, this idea of covering and and it and in and the clothes being connected to righteousness is a picture we see throughout the whole whole scriptures, right? You see, um, you see it in Zechariah with Joshua the high priest and the vision that Zechariah sees, where uh, Satan is the accuser and he accuses Joshua of all his failures, and it's the angel of the Lord Jesus who silences the accuser and clothes him in proper, proper clothes, has him take off the rags and put on adorning clothes and says, is this not a brand that I have plucked from the fire? And he tells the accuser to shut up. All, all Jesus is doing in telling you the, the parable of the prodigal son is being the true and better Zachariah in retelling that story about Joshua the high priest and in telling you that you aren't going to be able to clothe yourself, but that's what we do, right? We constantly are trying to fig leave uh, ourselves to cover our shame, but it's, it's the apostle Paul who quotes Isaiah that says it's Christ who has come to remove our shame and give us his righteousness, right? It's, it's that same story being told again and again and again. And you mentioned uh, the, the clothing uh, of Adam and Eve and it pointing to Christ's righteousness. But even before he does that, he preaches the gospel to them, which finds its fulfillment in Jesus that you, you have sinned, but there's going to come a day where the serpents 
offspring is going to bruise your offspring's heel, but this offspring is going to crush the serpent's head. Hey, guess who that offspring is? That offspring is Jesus, right? right. So that when Abraham later on in Genesis gets told that um, he's going to be the father of many nations and from his offspring, the nations are going to be blessed. How is that going to happen? Well, because from the, the offspring of Abraham comes the, the serpent crushing, better clothing, better prophet king. Friends, the, I hope, I, well, first of all, we hope that none of this is new for you. We hope, we hope that this is old hat. We hope that nobody listening to this is hearing it for the first time, but we fear that this is new for a lot of you. We fear that a lot of you are going to churches and you're not, you're either not hearing the old Testament or you're not hearing the old Testament explained in a Christ centered way. And when you, but when you do, when you see it, you can't unsee it. When you, when you see this way of reading the Old Testament with Christ at the center, you, you, you cannot unsee it. And the beauty of it is that when we see it this way, which is, again, the way that Peter and Paul saw the Old Testament, when you see it that way, you really do have the gospel on every page. When we say we're going to find Jesus in the Old Testament, what we mean is we're going to find the gospel in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. We, sometimes we'll say, hey, that's Jesus. Melchizedek, I think that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or or we'll say, look at this psalm here. I know it's about David, but I think it's about Jesus. Right. So, but but what we're doing in this is we want to help you see the gospel in all of Scripture, and there is no gospel apart from Christ. So we're we we want to we want to help people understand how to read their Bibles better, and and again. In this series, we're not going to hit every text. We're not going to hit every verse, every chapter of every single book. But what we are going to hopefully hammer you through um, familiar stories and help you see how it is about Jesus. Hopefully, it is going to rearrange the furniture in your mind so that when you open up a text, you know how to navigate it and find Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. We hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, We would also, uh, if you want additional resources, we would encourage you to check out our uh, brothers at the Society of Reform podcast and all the different uh, varieties of resources available uh, through that RSS feed. You can uh, find that on anywhere you're listening to your podcast, or you can visit them at at Reform Podcasts. That's with an S. dot uh, com. Definitely visit those guys and and give them some love with reviews and likes and 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 follows as well. Uh, and you can always hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, uh, or you can uh, visit our website and uh, at assuranceofpardon.com or email us at assuranceofpardon.com. Quick disclaimer, Scott. Um, if you have been looking, if y'all have been looking for me to try to ask me questions on Facebook, I have apparently committed the sin of all sins uh, and violated the community rules. And my Facebook account has been disabled and they won't fix it. Uh, so I don't know if that means I'll ever be back on Facebook. You've been am on- cast into utter darkness by Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I have I have been canceled. Uh, and so... Um, you can definitely still hit me up on Twitter, but that does mean that I'm not available on Facebook or Instagram. So if 
if it looks like our pages have gone dormant i apologize that's part of the reason why so we're trying to figure out what that option needs to look like but you can always email us at the contact at assuranceapartment.com or again hit us up on uh twitter uh, and i'd love to hear from you there until next time this is assurance of pardon god bless